Hello. Welcome to the Bore You to Sleep podcast. The podcast that will hopefully help you get to sleep. I am going to read an open source book, one that is not particularly interesting, but one that is hopefully boring enough to get you to sleep. Tonight, we'll be reading from The Autobiography of Benjamin Franklin. Benjamin Franklin is one of my favourite historical figures, and his story, while amazing, is also a great story to listen to as you slowly fall asleep. My name is Teddy, and I aim to help people everywhere get a good night's rest. I read a different story every episode to help you get a good night's rest. It is designed to play in the background as you slowly fall asleep. Not every story is for everyone, so if you're not really enjoying the story, please feel free to try another story, and hopefully it does help you fall asleep. If it does help you fall asleep, Please be sure to subscribe to the podcast and ensure you don't miss an episode. Before you doze off, and if you would be so kind, I'd love for you to take a quick moment to leave a review and rating in iTunes or your podcast player of choice. You would be surprised at how helpful this is in allowing me to reach more people who need a good night's rest. My whole mission and goal with this podcast is to really help people out there who need a good night's rest slowly doze off so they can achieve more with their day. In the meantime, lie back, relax, and enjoy the readings. The Autobiography of Benjamin Franklin Chapter 1. Ancestry and Early Youth in Boston Dear son, I have ever had pleasure in obtaining any little anecdotes of my ancestors. You may remember the inquiries I made among the remains of my relations when you were with me in England and the journey I took for that purpose. Imagining it may be equally agreeable to you to know the circumstances of my life, many of which you are yet unacquainted with, and expecting the enjoyment of a week's uninterrupted leisure in my present country retirement, I sit down to write them for you. To which I have besides some other inducements. Having emerged from the poverty and obscurity in which I was born and bred, to a state of affluence and some degree of reputation in the world, and having gone so far through life, 
with a considerable share of felicity the conducing means I made use of, which with the blessing of God so well succeeded, my posterity may like to know, as there may find some of them suitable to their own situations, and therefore fit to be imitated. That felicity, when I reflected on it, has induced me sometimes to say that were it offered to my choice, I should have no objection to a repetition of the same life from its beginning, only asking the advantages authors have in a second edition to correct some faults of the first. So I might, besides correcting the faults, change some sinister accidents and events of it for others more favourable. But though this were denied, I should still accept the offer, since such a repetition is not to be expected the next thing most living one's life over again seems to be a recollection of that life and to make that recollection as durable as possible by putting it down in writing. Hereby too, I shall indulge the inclination so natural in old men to be talking of themselves and their own past actions, and I shall indulge it without being tiresome to the others, who, through respect to age, might conceive themselves obliged to give me a hearing, since this may read or not as anyone pleases. And lastly... I may as well confess it, since my denial of it will be believed by nobody. Perhaps I shall a good deal gratify my own vanity. Indeed, I scarce ever heard or saw the introductory words, without vanity I may say, etc. But some vain thing immediately followed. Most people dislike vanity in others. Whatever share they have of it themselves, but I give it fair quarter wherever I meet with it, being persuaded that it is often productive of good to be the possessor and to others that are within his sphere of action, and therefore, in many cases, it would not be altogether absurd if a man were to thank God for his vanity among the other comforts of life. Gibbon and Hume, the great British historians, who were contemporaries of Franklin, express in their autobiographies the same feeling 
about the propriety of just self-praise. And now I speak of thanking God, a desire with all humanity to acknowledge that I owe the mentioned happiness of my past life to his kind providence, which led me to the means I used and gave them success. My belief of this induces me to hope, though I must not presume, that the same goodness will still be exercised toward me in continuing that happiness or enabling me to bear a fatal reverse, which I may experience as others have done, the complexion of my future fortune being known to him only, in whose power it is to bless us even our afflictions. The notes one of my uncles, who had the same kind of curiosity in collecting family anecdotes, once put me into my hands, furnished me with several particulars relating to our ancestors. From these notes I learned that the family had lived in the same village, Ecton, in Northamptonshire, for 300 years and how much longer he knew not, perhaps from the time when the name of Franklin, that before was the name of an order of people, was assumed by them as a surname when others took surnames all over the kingdom. On a freehold of about 30 acres aided by the smith's business, which had continued in the family till his time, the eldest son being always bred to that business, a custom which he and my father followed as to their eldest sons, when I searched the registers at Acton, I found an account of their births, marriages and burials from the year 1555 only, there being no registers kept in that parish at any time proceeding. By that register, I perceived that I was the youngest son of the youngest son for five generations back, my grandfather Thomas, who was born in 1598, lived at Acton till he grew too old to follow business longer, when he went to live with his son John, a dyer at Banbury in Oxfordshire, with whom my father served as an apprenticeship. There my grandfather died and lies buried. We saw his gravestone in 1758. His eldest son Thomas lived in the house at Acton and left it with the land to his only child, a daughter, who with her husband, one Fisher of Wellingborough, sold it to Mr. Isted, now lord of the manor there, 
My grandfather had four sons that grew up. Thomas, John, Benjamin, and Josiah. I will give you what account I can of them at this distance from my papers, and if these are not lost in my absence, you will among find them many more particulars. Thomas was bred a smith under his father, but being ingenuous and encouraged in learning by an esquire palmer, then the principal gentleman in that parish, he qualified himself for the business of a scrivener, became a considerable man in the county, was a chief mover of all public spirited undertakings for the county or town of Northampton and his own village of which may instances were related of him and much taken notice of and patronised by the Lord Halifax. He died in 1702, January 6, Old Style, just four years to a day before I was born. The account we received of his life and character from some old people at Acton, I remember, struck you as something extraordinary from its similarity to what you knew of mine. Had he died on the same day, you said, one might have supposed a transmigration. John was bred a dyer. I believe of woolens, Benjamin was bred a silk dyer, serving an apprenticeship at London. He was an ingenuous man. I remember him well, for when I was a boy, he came over to my father in Boston and lived in the house with us for some years. He lived to a great age. His grandson, Samuel Franklin, now lives in Boston. He left behind him two quarto volumes MS of his own poetry, consisting of little occasional pieces addressed to his friends and relations of which the following sent to me is a specimen. He had formed a shorthand of his own, which he taught me, but never practising it, I have now forgot it. I was named after this uncle, there being a particular affection between him and my father. He was very pious, a great attender of sermons of the best preachers, which he took down in his shorthand and had with him many volumes of them. He was also much of a politician, too much perhaps for his station. There fell lately into my hands in London, a collection he had made of all the principal pamphlets relating to public affairs from 1641 to 1717. Many of the volumes are wanting 
as appears by the numbering, but there still remain eight volumes in folio and twenty-four in quarto, and in octavo. A dealer in old books met with them, and knowing me by my sometimes buying of him, he brought them to me. It seems my uncle must have left them here when he went to America, which was about fifty years since. There are many of his notes in the margins. This obscure family of ours was early in the Reformation and continued Protestants through the reign of Queen Mary when they were sometimes in danger of trouble on account of their zeal against popery. They had got an English Bible, and to conceal and secure it, it was fastened open with tapes under and within the cover of a joint stool. When my great-great-grandfather read it to his family, he turned up the joint stool upon his knees, turning over the leaves then under the tapes. One of the children stood at the door to give notice if he saw the apparitor coming, who was an officer of the spiritual court. In that case, the stool was turned down again upon its feet when the Bible remained concealed under it as before. This anecdote I had from my Uncle Benjamin, the family continued all of the Church of England till about the end of the Charles and the Second Reign, when some of the ministers that had been out for nonconformity, holding conventicles in Northamptonshire, Benjamin and Josiah adhered to them, and so continued all their lives. The rest of the family remained with the Episcopal Church. Josiah, my father, married young, and carried his wife with three children into New England in about 1682. The conventicles having been forbidden by law and frequently disturbed induced some considerable men of his acquaintance to remove to that country and he was prevailed with to accompany them thither where they expected to enjoy their mode of religion with freedom. By the same time he had four children, and they were born, and by a second wife ten more, in all seventeen, of which I remember thirteen sitting at one time at his table, who all grew up to be men and women, and married. I was the youngest son and the youngest child but two, and was born in Boston, New England. My mother, the second wife, was Abia Folger, daughter of Peter Folger, one of the first settlers of New England, of whom honourable mention is made by Cotton Mather, 
in his church history of that country entitled Magnalia Christi Americana as a godly learned Englishman, if I remember the words rightly. I have heard that he wrote sundry small occasional pieces, but only one of them was printed, which I saw now many years since. It was written in 1675 in the homespun verse of that time and people, and addressed to those then concerned in the government there. It was in favour of liberty and conscience, and in behalf of the Baptists, Quakers, and other secretaries that had been under persecution, ascribing the Indian wars and other distresses that had befallen the country to that persecution, as so many judgments of God to punish so heinous an offence, and exhorting a repeal of those uncharitable laws. The whole appeared to me as written with a good deal of decent plainness and manly freedom. The six concluding lines I remember, though I have forgotten the two first of the stanza, but the purport of them was that his censures proceeded from goodwill, and therefore he would be known to the author. My elder brothers were all apprentices to different trades. I was put to the grammar school at age eight. My father intended to devote me as the tith of his sons to the service of the church. My early readiness in learning to read, which must have been very early, as I do not remember when I could not read, and the opinion of all his friends that I should certainly make a good scholar, encouraged him in this purpose of his. My uncle Benjamin too approved of it, and proposed to give me all of his shorthand volumes of sermons, I suppose as a stock to set up with, if I would learn his character. I continued, however, at the grammar school not quite one year, though in that time I had risen gradually from the middle of the class of that year to be the head of it and father was removed into the next class above it, in order to go with that into the third at the end of the year. But my father in the meantime, from a view of the expense of a college education, which having so large a family he could not well afford, and the meaning living many so educated were afterwards able to obtain. Reasons that he gave to his friends in my hearing altered his first intention, took me from the grammar school and sent me to a school for writing and arithmetic, kept by a then famous man, Mr. George Brownell, 
very successful in his profession generally, and that by mild encouraging methods. Under him I acquired fair writing pretty soon, but I failed in the arithmetic and made no progress in it. At ten years old I was taken home to assist my father in the business, which was that of a tallow chandler and soap boiler, a business he was not bred to do, but had assumed on his arrival in New England, and on finding his dying trade would not maintain his family, being in little request. Accordingly, I was employed in cutting wick for the candles, filling the dipping mould and the moulds for cast candles, attending the shop, going of errands, etc. I disliked the trade and had a strong inclination for the sea, but my father declared against it. However, living near the water... I was so much in and about it, learning early to swim well and to manage boats, and when in a boat or canoe, with other boys I was commonly allowed to govern, especially in any case of difficulty, and upon other occasions I was generally a leader among boys and sometimes led them into scrapes of which I will mention one instance, as it shows an early projecting public spirit, though not then justly conducted. There was a salt marsh that bounded part of the mill pond on the edge of which at high water we used to stand to fish for minnows, By much trampling, we had made it a mere quagmire. My proposal was to build a wharf there fit for us to stand upon it, and I showed my comrades a large heap of stones, which were intended for a new house near the marsh, and which would very well suit our purpose. Accordingly, in the evening... When the workmen were gone, I assembled a number of my playfellows and working with them diligently, like so many emmets, sometimes two or three to a stone, we brought them all away and built our little wharf. The next morning, workmen were surprised at missing the stones, which were found in our wharf. Inquiry was made after the removers. We were discovered and complained of. Several of us were corrected by our fathers, and though I pleaded the usefulness of the work, mine convinced me that nothing was useful which was not honest. I think you may like to know something of his person and his character. He had an excellent constitution of body, which was of middle stature, 
but well set and very strong. He was ingenuous and could draw prettily, was skilled a little in music and had a clear, pleasing voice, so that when he played psalm tunes on his violin and sung withal, as he sometimes did in an evening after the business of the day was over, it was extremely agreeable to hear. He had a mechanical genius too, and on occasion was very handy in the use of other tradesmen's tools, but his great excellence lay in a sound understanding and solid judgment in prudential matters both in private and public affairs. In the latter, indeed, he was never employed. The numerous family he had to educate and the straightness of his circumstances, keeping him close to his trade, but I remember well his being frequently visited by the leading people, who consulted him for his opinion in affairs of the town or of the church he belonged to, and showed a good deal of respect for his judgment and advice. And that concludes tonight's readings. I hope you're feeling drowsy and a little tired. You're always welcome to listen to another episode if you're not quite yet ready to sleep. I look forward to bringing you another episode very soon. And in the meantime, good night.